I became fascinated with looking at things where they fall in a, for lack of a better word, on a timeline. You might find out something about that story that could not be anything but God. Now you're reading that and you're thinking, why do I care about idiots? Yeah, and listening to it going, I don't want to listen to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. I'm a snake. I'm a slitherous snake. I'm a snake of snake. <laughs> you have the potential to do great evil or to do great good. Because what you see when you begin to look at history is that we're all connected. This is History Through the Eyes of Faith with Angie Ferris, and I'm your host, Frank Raines Jr., along with producer Wes. Thanks for listening. Welcome to History Through the Eyes of Faith. This is Frank, along with Angie and producer Wes. Thanks for joining episode 18. Um, Yeah, it's episode 18. We're all here. Feeling good? How you doing, Ange? Doing great. She needs to be... You hear this energy, you need that. I need that energy? You need that energy, yes. Up, up, up there's up, the up. pointer that looks like a um, pregnancy test. Yes, yes. If you're a faithful listener, you have heard about this pointer before. Yes. Um, so yeah, we're here, um, we're uh, talking about uh, the year's... Prior to um, the arrival of of Jesus of Nazareth, or of Bethlehem in the beginning, um, we're about a few hundred years prior to that. Yeah, we were talking about um, the Septuagint. 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 That sounds like a medication. <laughs> it does. <The> Septuagint <laughs> to stop itching. Septuagint. Mm-hmm. Um, Step two agent. Sept. Like Sept. September. Septuagint. I mean, Why what is the sep? Is there something that has to do with September or not not the month, but the same root of that word? I think so that they're both mean seven and yet September's the ninth month, but that has to do with the change in the calendar after the months were named. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a whole cool history. When we get to that, which yeah, if I don't have it when we're actually recording the episode, I will get the information because we might get to that today. I don't know. But yeah, Astronomer Tim has a lot of this cool stuff that goes with the calendar. I'll bring that in. But it's the same root word. So Septuagint means 70. And so the reason it was... But there were 72. Yeah, they just rounded it to 70, <laughs> called it Septuagint. What, 72 what? 72 books, 72 teachers, 72, 72 Jewish scholars Jewish hired scholars to translate the, the Old Testament, Testament. Yes, from, from Hebrew, Hebrew to Greek. Greek. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, by the way, I don't think, you know what, here's, when we start an episode, I like to have something that's a little off the cuff, a little um, random. So you get a little bit up top, a little up front that is a little bit not to do with the history through the eyes of faith. And I think I just stumbled upon it. And then my challenge, challenge is, is to, to relate, relate it. To, to, see. To take the random and pull it back in. Okay, I can't do it. What I'm doing now is a little thing called simultaneous speech. And now Angie's trying to do it with me, which is fine. I like it when people try to do it. So... If you know anything about us personally, 
You may know that our father did this on television in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s. Uh, sometimes known as Mr. Echo on the Mike Douglas show. He did it in clubs. Well, oops, he, he did, did it all, all over. over. Traveled, traveled in a menagerie. Traveled, <laughs> traveled in a menagerie <laughs> is what I said. <laughs> traveled in a menagerie. Uh, yeah, so... So he does it well. Well, he doesn't do it now as much as he did. Yes, but he he is actually simultaneous where we're kind of trying some lip reading yeah, and doing yeah. all that. I wasn't trying lip reading. No, yeah. I can't see your lips. I'm just doing it from, from oral, orally, <laughs> um, which is how, he, which in my opinion is how he does it. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so check it out on, on YouTube. Frank Rain's uh, Mr. Echo, Frank Rain Sr., uh, he was on The Tonight Show. He was on The Mike Douglas Show. He was on That's Incredible. He was on uh, The Jerry Carol, Lewis Show. Yeah, he was on, uh, what was the, Donna Shore. Was that her Dinah name? Shore? Di- Dinah Shore. Dinah yeah. She yeah. He was on that show. Yeah, huh? like my third grade class. We called off class and pulled the TV in, and that was back in the day, and we all got to watch him on TV. When I was in freshman in college was when he was on That's Incredible. We all went down to the lobby in the dorm and watched the show. So... We haven't brought that up because you know what? It's not part of what we're talking about. But it is kind of a it's cool kind of a unique thing. thing. And, and you know, at, we're in episode eighteen, and it came up. It's taken this many episodes, and not that that needs to ha- be talked about. Oh, I yeah, just started a lot doing of people it with her. Have and known, known me for, me for years, years and, and know that. Yeah, like how come you never told me this? this? Yeah, and so I'm sitting here trying to do it just for fun, spontaneously. And uh, it gave me the idea to share that little anecdote. Um, and I have a great, I mean, because of his ability to do that, because of the shows that he was on, because of when I was a teenager, uh, he went out to L.A. to do a, a, an episode of a Richard Simmons show. Hmm. <clears throat> and I got to meet Richard Simmons and another couple of comedians that were on the that show. That was after the trip where we all went. Right. This it? was 80. Uh, six, no, 87, summer of 87. And um, met some celebrities when I was out there. But the highlight of that trip was we got tickets to go see The Tonight Show. Um, he had performed on The Tonight Show in the 70s. But we got tickets to go see The Tonight Show. And he had to hurry to get to the taping of The Tonight Show for us to see it from the recording of the of the Richard Simmons show. And he had worked it out to get the tickets from the producers or whatever, so they had a car to take us over to NBC to go to The Tonight Show. So it was a limo that takes us. And I don't know if the limo driver knew that we were just in just to see it. Maybe he thought we were we, on it on or, it something. or yeah. something. So we go in the back gate. And we park next to, we get dropped off next to Johnny's parking spot that was no car. It just said his name and a star. There was no car there at the time. And um, we actually went in the backstage door, went down the hall, and went to our seat through the colored drapery of the set. Wow. So I, at 17, walked through the same curtains of Johnny Carson on the set of The Tonight Show. And all the people who've been on the set of The Tonight Show with yeah, him. Yeah, I've walked through those curtains onto the stage and then to my seat. <laughs> That's great, though. But, but, and yeah. everybody goes, who's that? Who's that? Do you know them? Who is that? Yeah, well, they I don't know if they did or not, but we sat sure down did. and uh, we're sitting around the front row and 
Johnny Carson came out and did his monologue. Um, and that night on the show was Magic Johnson and Bernadette Peters. But here's what I found out only this past year. And this is not a good, this is my anecdote I didn't know I was going to get into. Only this past year that I find out that on that day in history, and I think it was July something of 1987 with Bernadette Peters and Magic Johnson. The next night on The Tonight Show was Steve Martin. Oh, one day. You missed him by one day. (laughs) Who is my all-time favorite. And how many years later was it before you saw him in person? I saw Steve Martin in Uh person? Um, 2009. So that's 30, 20 years. 22 years later. 22 years later. And that's another story. I did see Steve Martin in person. We'll save that for the end. And I'm not going to tell that. It's too long. Okay. But I got to meet Steve Martin 22 years later. But he was just my all-time favorite, especially then. I mean, he was the... uh, So the next night he was on the show, I was still even in the town, I'm pretty sure. Had we gotten the ticket the next night? Yeah. There you go. But I've also seen Letterman from the from the from the audience, and I've seen Jimmy Fallon from the audience. So it's ticking off my list. Jimmy Fallon on the Tonight Show. Yes, but not but Letterman on his show. Letterman on the Late Show before he retired. Okay. And the guest that night, Will Ferrell. Mm, There you go. Stop. Yeah, this is not about me, but it oh, turned but into maybe about me. It, really is. it did turn into it about really me, is. didn't it? Like we always start out talking okay. about somebody else, yeah. but that's it's where we are. It's coming up. back to me because we already talked about that I snuck in and met, met, met Robin Williams. So yeah. just there's the list Robin Williams, Johnny Carson, Steve Martin, David Letterman, yeah. Jimmy Fallon. Wes here, the producer Wes, got a high five from Jimmy Fallon when, when we went to that show. What's up, bud? Gave him a little high five. They're, they still text each other now. Yeah. Send Jimmy a text. Tell him we're talking about him. All right. Episode 18. Ooh, so exciting. Episode okay. 18. Um, God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Ephesians 3.20. I just can't see the numbers that far. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's the stone from the city of Ephesus. It has a verse on it here in the studio. And there's another gift over there for me. Woohoo. And I've I've monopolized I've monopolized the beginning of this episode. Yes. Because it's all about you. Yeah. It's okay. Um so we ended talking about the Septuagint. Mm-hmm. Seventy books. Translation Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek. Finished in one hundred BC. Now, have you ever heard of the Apocrypha? Do you know what that is? The Apocrypha, I believe, is a uh, a, a group of Indian shaman. <laughs> I thought you were going were, there with a group of, but no. I think in the Old West, when it was being settled, there was these Indian outlaws. <laughs> Did they get to the West? What about that word takes Indians to the West? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know why they named it that, but it was a small town. <laughs> like, they had these Indian outlaws, half Cherokee okay, and Choctaw. stop because people are going to think that that has Their baby to do. is a Chippewa. He's a one of a kind. You're all oh, off the rails. The Apocrypha is a, 
is a group of books mm-hmm. that are written between the Testaments by Jews who are seeking to live a life pleasing to God. It has a lot of the history of the Jewish people that happens between the time of Malachi and the birth of Christ. They were written in Greek, so they're written, because Greek is the language everybody's speaking of this time, right? And they get attached to the Septuagint. So over the years, the hundreds of years after this, as the Septuagint is around, you would find these books included with it, but they were not a part of the Jewish Old Testament, okay? Mm-hmm. So they're apocalyptic wisdom and history. Apocalyptic means talking about end times, wisdom books similar to like Psalms and Proverbs, and then history books. There's seven books, mm-hmm. sometimes a few more depending on what grouping you're talking about. But... Now, I'm confused. You said written in Greek. Yes. Because that's the language. That everybody, yeah, that's being spoken throughout the region. When are they starting to speak Aramaic? Aramaic was left from the Persian Empire. But if you were going to write a book, like you have to think... It's the language that's being written down. Yes. But speaking might be Aramaic. Yes, or you would have to learn Greek. People learn, like the New Testament's written in Greek, but most likely Jesus was speaking Aramaic. That's okay. what I wanted to understand. Yeah. It's it's the, um, I'm sure there were people speaking Greek too, but probably not every man on the street. Just depended, you know. Um, yeah. So the thing about the Apocrypha is those seven books are included in the Catholic Bible. Okay. So if you get a Catholic Bible, it's going to have those seven books. They were, so mm, we're going to get into church history here, and I don't want to go too far because we're going to explain all this when we get to the 1500s, okay? But Protestants pulled away from the Catholics, became the Protestants in the middle of the, of the you know, like in the 1400s, 1500s, that period of time. Mm-hmm. And the we don't have the Apocrypha in our Bible, right? No. So it's come to, some people see it as a controversial thing, you know, and see it as not, so it's not considered canon. It's not considered authoritative stri- scripture Okay. by Protestants, but it is in the Catholic Bible. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, why it's not considered by Protestants. Okay. Okay. I've got a um and I'm wanting to say ah apocrypha for some reason. <laughs> this is not going where I thought it would go at all. Um it does it ever? Nah, probably not. Sometimes I can guess kind of good, but I actually have a list here, but I I think that's something to come back to later of What's in the Hebrew Bible, what's in the Catholic Bible, what's in the Protestant Bible, and what's in the Orthodox Bible. Okay, okay. we haven't explained Orthodoxy yet. We haven't talked about how Catholic became Catholic or how Protestant became Protestant. So this is probably all something that we'll Get come to back later. to at that point. So that might be like 
TMI right now, but there's a lot of question. People who know the Apocrypha exist, they know that they're, um, that that's included in the Catholic Bible. They'll say, well, why isn't it included, right? Like, that's a good question. Why isn't it included in the Protestant Bible? Why did the Protestants say no? And what the best that we know of how it got attached in the first place was not that somebody sat down and said, yeah, let's include this. It was with the Old Testament. It's that in this translation, at that time, these Jews were writing in Greek and it got put with the Old Testament because it was a continuation of the story. But it has never been seen as canonical. Do you know what the, what does it, that word mean? Canonical. Um, Do you know what no. canon is when we talk about the Bible being canon? That means authoritative scripture. Okay, okay. so it's never been seen as authoritative scripture okay. by the Jews. Okay, right. um, so found some real good information that kind of made it succinct. Because when you start diving into researching about the Apocrypha, in the past I've had a hard time finding succinct information. And so this was like a little YouTube video that was telling the major five reasons why it shouldn't be included in scripture. All of these I've heard before, but I like the way that they put them together. The first one is there's inconsistency with the doctrine that's taught in the Apocrypha with the rest of the Bible. For example, the Apocrypha seems to say that you can pray for the salvation of the dead, that you can make atonement for the dead. That is not consistent with scripture. And in this video, the, the, um, creator is giving the references in the Bible. I'm, I'm not going through all of that now, not getting into that detail. But so there's a difference in docker, doctrine. Another thing is that you can pay, like physically pay money to the church that would, or that or wasn't a church because we're talking about Jews. You can pay money to the priest that would atone for a dead person's sin or another person's sin. You might hear some familiarity with those doctrines with other religions or sects that we have today. And so there, but it's not consistent with anything else in the Bible. And there's even places in the Bible where it clearly says that doesn't happen. So there's an inconsistency in doctrine. Another second reason is when we've already said the Jews themselves rejected it as doctrine. They have never in any of their recordings or writings referred to any of those books as authoritative. Um, Jesus did not quote or reference or affirm the divine authorship of any of these books. He didn't accept them as part of the canon or, or uh, scripture. There's at least one place and probably several more where Jesus says, talks about Moses and the prophets and the writings. And I thought this was really interesting because that is the way that the Old Testament is divided in the Jewish Bible is the Torah and the prophets and the writings and and the Pentateuch, the history part of it. So um, that's what Jesus is referring to when he's talking about that. So if you read the New Testament and anywhere where they're quoting scripture, they're never quoting the Septuagint. I see. Okay. Yeah. So even though it did exist I mean, they're, they're at that time. They're never quoting the Apocrypha. I'm sorry. Exactly. Thank you for correcting me. Wow. They're not a They're not quoting the Apocrypha. They're probably quoting in Greek from that Septuagint translation, but not the apocryphal books. Okay. Um, they never quoted from it. Jesus didn't reference it and actually affirmed the other parts, not that part. Mm -hmm. um, 
And this is what's interesting. Many Roman Catholics rejected the Apocrypha until the late 16th century, until the time of the Reformation. It was not a made official. There was no creeds or councils that made it official scripture until the Council of Trent, which was in response to the Reformation. So it wasn't until the Protestants said, we're not including this because it's not authoritative, it's not consistent with the rest of scripture, that the Catholics said, okay, it's in. It is part of scripture. It was kind of like a rebellion, maybe? It was like a pushback. Pushback. You know, okay, you're saying it's not a part of scripture, so we're going to make it official. But up to then, many Catholics rejected it. Um, Now, so even though it's not doctrine, it's still a very interesting, historical, beautiful read. There's some really cool stories in it. One of the things I learned in watching another little um, info video is the the you know the hymn now think we all are God is that familiar with you if you remember I don't know. that maybe it's almost exactly quoted from a book in the apocrypha as well as it came upon a midnight clear well both of those hymns referred to words in the apocrypha so there's great things to be learned and it's particularly a great history book because it tells us what happens in Judaism between the end of the prophets the closing of the old testament and the opening of the new so would it be similar to how diehard star wars fans feel about the phantom menace i have no idea because i'm not a diehard star okay. wars well fan. there was original three films and they went back and made one two three yeah and they were bleh. yeah everybody talks we're about not going to include those <laughs> everybody talks about it. so how do you feel about seven eight nine <clears throat> oh i like them Okay. Because they're the they're continuation with the same actors. Whereas one, two, three was like, hey, here's an opportunity. Uh, Let's create the backstory and not make it any good. Oh. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I don't want to spend, spend too much time on that, but I was just trying to make a comical analogy. No, it's probably analogy. not that much because I think that what's happened is I think that because the Protestants rejected it, that there's become over the centuries, particularly in particular Protestant groups, that it's bad, that it's wrong, that it's um, that it's uh, bad. Like there's no benefit of it because the doctrine's hmm. inconsistent, and because in the eyes of some people, some groups have twisted what's in there to cause it to mean something that is clearly inconsistent with Scripture, which we'll talk about when we get to that part of history. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this negative reaction to it. So I think that what I'm trying to portray is it's really a neutral reaction. It's a history, wisdom, stories from that period of time that has not been accepted by the Jews or by the Protestants and not for the Catholics until the 1500s as authoritative scripture. So we don't look at it as um, the word of God, but it still has brings benefit, particularly when you're studying history. So we bring it up now because it is this time that the apocrypha is written, is written and exists. Yes, and so we're gonna we're gonna move and talk <clears throat> about some secular stuff. But when we come back to the story of the Jews, our information is coming from the apocrypha for the largest part. Okay. So yeah, that's why we're doing that. So there you go. There's the Apocrypha, and I think it has a card, too. We haven't talked about the cards in several episodes. No, no. We'll, we'll come back to them. Um, yeah. I bet we're halfway through them. No, we're almost to the end. Really? Well, yeah, because we finished the history of the Old Testament. So 
Ezra and Nehemiah, everything to Ezra and Nehemiah. Is Nehemiah. Nehemiah. <laughs> I guess Nehemiah. tongue-tied. I guess a tongue-tied. Nehemiah. I won't go any now, further. Who gets that reference? Um, not many. Do you know right. that that it was just the 40th anniversary of that song? And my friend who works for a local Christian broadcasting network that I can't remember the initials of, I think it's... Anyway, he he interviewed the Oak Ridge Boys for that 40th anniversary event. Cool. He did a deal. Okay. I did meet them as well, folks. Of so course. So let's bring it back to me again. Here's creation through Ezra and Nehemiah in my right hand. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. Here's Socrates, Plato to the end. Not many. Wow. We're very close. We're almost to the end of times, folks. No, we're into the end of part one. <laughs> part one. Okay, so that's Hold on. <coughs> that's the apocrypha. So Excuse now, me. this is the way I ask this when I'm teaching a class. When the Old Testament ends, who is the geopolitical power? Who is the reigning power? When the Old Testament ends, it, yes, the Persians, yes. Do I get a gold star? Too. And when the New Testament opens, mm-hmm. who is the geopolitical power? The Greeks. No. No. Think about the New Testament. The New Testament, the Romans. Exactly. So this whole period where we're talking is explaining how we get from the Persians to 1 AD, to the Romans. The Romans. To the entrance of Jesus. So we've seen how the Persians got captured by Alexander the Great, which is what we call Greek civilization. Hellenization is that word of spreading mm-hmm. Greek culture, which is now dominant throughout the known world. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about what's been happening in Alexandria, how it's become the center of learning. And there the books were translated from Hebrew into Greek, the books of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And then these apocryphal books show up. As they're written, getting attached to that Septuagint, mm-hmm. okay? Was the Apocrypha books by any chance on golden tablets? Probably not. Okay. I bet they went straight to the papyrus. Okay. Don't you think? Yeah, I was just, okay. Yeah. <laughs> She's giving me a look like, don't. No, it's okay. I'm, just I'm, don't. Uh, no, it's not about don't. It's about, so now we're going to jump over and talk about Rome, Okay. So mm-hmm. Rome existed as a place, a culture, a peoples, and then a republic before it was an empire. Okay? And when the New Testament opens, we're talking about the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Okay? So we're going to go back and talk about the roots of Rome. Okay? I'm sorry I've said okay too many times. Rome is growing There's in, a contest. in power. What do we know about it? What do we know about Rome? So that's the question we're asking ourselves. So if we go back to the beginnings of Rome, um, a republic was created in 509 B.C. Okay. So Rome grew from this culture and this people into a republic by 509 B.C. The Romans created stable political institutions and the most influential secular legal system in the history of the world the most influential secular legal system in the history of the world. They were masters of civil engineering and civic engineering. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And this is going on 500 B.C. So, well, it's starting. Like the mm-hmm. Republic was there by 500. But then the empire lasts up until 3-something A.D. So, so when we're talking about Rome, there could be a difference. 300-something A.D. Yes. Yeah. 300. I'm sorry I didn't say that. So that's 800 years. Yeah. Okay. So where we were talking about Greek influence, it's even stronger for Roman influence. And actually the Romans became a lot of the vehicle that got the Greek influence to us. I see. That spread, spread the Greek beyond where it already was. But when you go back to those Roman roots, um, one of the things, if you look at the, at Italy, okay. At the, uh, country of Italy, mm-hmm. Rome is uh, maybe a third up the western coast, and it's not exactly on the coast. It's several miles off the coast. So down in the south of the Italian peninsula, there were Greek inhabitants, Greek city-states, Greek civilization. And so as Rome develops, it becomes pretty evident that the Greek that Greek has influenced what's happening in Rome. Okay. Um, there's also a river. Uh, the name of it's not Rubicon. I think that's the name of it. Um, yeah, that is kind of considered like North of that is something different. The boundary of Rome kind of starts South of the Rubicon. Okay. Um, and that'll come in as we talk later. Liberty and publicness are at the heart of the Roman system. These are kind of like overall summary statements that we're starting before we get into more details. Liberty means freedom of the people to participate rather than be ruled. That was a cornerstone of the Roman system. And the publicness is the notion of a republic, a public thing, something that belongs to the public as a whole, a public affair. So a republic means it belongs to the public as a whole. Mm-hmm. Okay. Liberty is the freedom of the people to participate rather than to be ruled. And the public is, or the republic is a public thing, something that belongs to the public as a whole, a public affair. Um, they had an assembly of all citizens that could take legislative initiative. So as we're comparing it to the U.S., our laws have to be created inside particular bodies of our government. Mm-hmm. They had an assembly of all the citizens that would come together and could create the initiative, but then any measure that was going to become law had to be approved by the Senate. So the Roman Senate was approving law, but not could not create law. Okay? and they But they didn't embrace the idea of equality. It wasn't that everybody was equal. Everybody had representation in the government, but there were there was definitely a hierarchy and deference, okay? The ruling class were called patricians, which comes from the word patre, which means father, which means they were well-fathered, okay? So these are going to be people that, like, the ruling class was passed down through the generations, um, and they were part of the council or assembly, and then when they got to be a certain age, they could be a part of the senate, okay? Mm-hmm. They were, like, elected to office. The plebeians were the ordinary people, that were under the ruling class. So the Senate was not made up originally of plebeians. It was just the ruling class. But the plebeians could participate in the government to varying degrees as time went on. So as Rome expanded its defense, 
Um, it grew. It didn't consider itself aggressive. It considered considered itself defensive to attack. So rather than having the next village over attack me, I must attack them. This is what this author says, that the Romans would pick a fight in such a way that the other party would offend them and Rome would respond. So they would have a reason to respond because yeah. they got offended. Okay. As Rome expanded, a larger portion of the population had to be drafted for service. So as you get, if you have more and more area that you're having to conquer and you're having to spread your armies out, you're having to get more people in the army. And so the exchange for all of these plebeians coming into the military service was more participation in government. So, and the plebes learned that they could strike and that then concessions would be made because they needed them. And so that's how more and more people came to participate all the way down to the low people in society. So that by the early third century BC, which is, you hear it is 200 years after the founding of the Republic, Rome was virtually a democracy. Okay. Or like that would probably be 300 years. Um, Virtually a democracy. It's sounding a little bit like what Socrates. Uh, well, it's imagined. those Greek ideas of representation which probably influenced them. But there was this strong something that Rome had that will be will come up that the Greeks didn't have was a strong commitment to tradition and to ancestors and to doing things in a certain way. Okay. There was a there was a deference and respect for authority, for elders, and for tra tradition. Everyone had a vote, yet voting blocks were not equal in number or wealth. Example, our electoral college, okay? Mm -hmm. Everybody in a state has a vote, but depending on how many electoral votes your state has, weights the vote of the state, okay? Mm -hmm. So there were weight systems in this Roman system, so that although everybody could vote— the votes of certain people counted more, of certain groups of people counted mm -hmm. more than others, okay? Um, kind of divided into two, there were kind of two, two groups that were voting, one that was based on wealth and rank, and the other that was based on location of where you lived. And everybody, I thought this was interesting, everybody got to vote in both those categories, in your wealth and rank category, and then in where you lived, and then those were kind of weighed together anyway. Um, the Senate provided opinions, did not create legislation, and there were different other offices that could offer legislation. And this is interesting, too, because this is what changes as Rome expands, that relatively a small number of families, about 100, have monopolized political power over many years, over a very long time in Rome. So starting from the beginning of the Republic all the way up until it becomes an empire, it was these small group of like 100 families that were really calling the shots, holding to the tradition of the elders honoring the system. Um, Roman government had elements of a monarch in that they elected a consul, C-O-N-S-U-L, who was in charge of the country, but only for two years at a time. And they might have elected them every year and they could only serve for two years, something like that. So that was a little bit of like a monarchy, okay? And then it had elements of an oligarchy, which is where the wisest or the best rule, a small group rules in the magistrates. And these magistrates were the ones that were elected to office and could suggest legislation and were kind of that ruling body in between the consuls and the Senate. And then it had a little bit of an element of democracy and that everyone could have a vote. And this is, again, I want to reiterate, this is forming, this republic, this 
this political system is forming two, three hundred years BC. It was formed by five hundred. Okay. And then survived and grew and changed until it becomes an empire, which we'll talk about the date when that happens, but it's after it's later than one hundred BC. Okay. And then it remains an empire into three thirties AD or three eighties. I have to look up the date. So um the Greek expansion is happening at the same time. Yes, right? the city states, yes. But then Alexander the Great is he dies in 300-something. So Rome exists as a republic before his death. Mm-hmm. Okay? But he has conquered the known world. But he hadn't conquered Rome. Rome wasn't part of his. He conquered that southern tip of Italy. So that's when we say the vast part of the known world. Right. Okay? But Rome was being influenced by the Greeks because the Greeks were their neighbors to the south. Um, the Roman system was remarkably stable for a long time, and the mixed dimensions of its constitution was admired very much by the founding fathers of the U.S. The Rome Romans? Right. And this is something you might not realize, but we'll talk about it over and over again. At the time that the United States of America was born as a republic... For which it stands. In 1776, or if you go with the date of the constitution after that, it was the first republic since the Roman Republic. Really? Yeah. The first and only? Well, not only since then, but at that point, yes. Hmm. I didn't, that's, that's pretty amazing. So it's pretty, and, and it's a cool story of history how we get back around to it. It's pretty neat. Like, well, if that was the case, why did it happen 1,700 years later? Why did it happen 1,400 years later? So it's it's a cool story. Not a um, short one, but a cool story. Do you think that, um, well, you're probably going to get to it, but it sounds like the Republic might have been being attacked by dark forces that wanted to become an empire. Well. And they had maybe a, 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 a base, a Death Star base. <laughs> Wes was already smiling. He knew where you were going before I did. The Republic <laughs> was being was being under attack by the Empire. So uh, there was actually a Roman leader. I think it's more like there was this Mark person. Seder. Yeah. Like, Mark I think it was Seder. more like that there was this person who knew something about history mm -hmm. who created a storyline called Star Wars. Mm-hmm. With a republic oh, is that and what, an empire. Oh, that is there is a, a analogy there. I did. I was actually yeah. thinking that and maybe that there was like a princess. Yeah, like we can do a whole, okay. Okay, put the, put a pin in this. Okay. When we get up to current times, let's mm -hmm. do a whole series on all of the meaning in Star Wars and how that fits in with the history that we've studied. Is this the second time in this episode that we talked about Star Wars? I can't remember. Why were we talking about Star Wars earlier? Oh, yeah, it is. Because I was talking about the Apocrypha yes. could be related to yes. the previous episodes yes. that people don't want to include right. in the saga, in the series. Yes. And now we're talking about a republic and an empire. Yeah. Um, and tonight in the studio. Yeah, yeah let's save that. We'll, we'll come back to that. Because I think that should be discussed. 
really? Yeah, because I mean, this isn't airing for several weeks. So anyway, okay. Well, so that's right. It's not going to be aired. Nobody can hear it. That's right. So Republic to Empire, um, and we're talking about that. When when you started that, it, I was very much in my Roman brain, so I wasn't thinking <laughs> Star Wars. And you started that with it. Sounds like there was this dark force. So it is kind of interesting. There's not really a dark force. So the reasons that it moves from Republic to Empire say a lot about people okay did it have to do with senator palpatine any <laughs> chance? no but see there's the it, it, anyway we got to do that we got to do because i got to refresh on the star wars story because i'm not a groupie and then it, it's there it's all there that's really cool yeah stay tuned listeners mm-hmm. stay tuned um the roman system yeah The Roman system has been formative in the Western tradition, needless to say, right? We've Mm -hmm. already seen that, okay? So here's the thing. Rome conquered very gradually over a very long period of time. We saw Alexander just take off, bam, 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 do this long campaign that lasted about 13 years, isn't that what it was? And then he has the whole world. No, Rome was much longer, okay? So let me show you on, I have gotten out our history timeline, timeline of history book, Mm. and you see this green section right there Mm -hmm. that's the persian empire okay you see how large it is so this from this line all the way down to the bottom of the page these are all the peoples of the world Mm -hmm. this is the green is the persians that Mm -hmm. red line is alexander the great okay so that's short so this is not helpful if you're listening okay So the Persians is about what three or four square inches, three three and three by two by three. The Persians is a lot of it, so it doesn't. It's, yeah, but it's only about a a third of what's up there, maybe a half. Yeah, yeah third. Okay, and then you see how Alexander conquers three quarters of three quarters it. of mm-hmm. the of, of twice the known as world. big as the Persians. Then this is the period where Alexander's kingdoms are divided, right? Mm-hmm. Then you see this beige. That's mm-hmm. the Romans. Look at that. All of that. Yeah. For, for that. The Roman takes up the whole page. It takes up one whole page of the book and top to bottom almost everything except China and India. The Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. So, But you see how that was slowly over a period of time mm-hmm. is growing. Okay. Yeah. Right. And they would, you know, say, antagonize their neighbors enough to, to the neighbors would offend them and then they'd have a reason to go and take that them. sounds familiar. So it was kind of like a defensive move the whole time. Like, like Yeah. Wasn't the plan, but they were trying to maintain their republic. Mm-hmm. As Rome, as the Roman Empire or republic depended on more and more folks for the military, they had to include them in the decision making. Um, and so the voice is getting bigger. The ideas are getting more. There's more people to deal with. Okay, but by 133 BC, the future is all Roman. Okay. So if you 133 BC, they've conquered a lot. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, it and marks who's the, who's the leader. Well, it's changing, and we'll be talking about okay. that. Marks a symbolic moment in Roman history where they have achieved utter dominance in the ancient world. Hmm. Utter dominance in the ancient world. Building this vast empire cost the Romans a very great deal, and it generated unforeseen tensions. And it's really those unforeseen tensions that eventually change from it from republic to empire and then eventually become the downfall of the empire in a, in a different way. Um, 
they had to put out officers to run all the areas that they had conquered. And so therefore they multiplied the number of officers and magistrates. So you've got more people that you have to coordinate and have to be on the same team and have to be working. And, and also you're moving out beyond that family of like a hundred families now. Okay. So no longer could only a hundred families be in power too many places and too many new men. War provided the opportunity for wealth and political prestige. Great battle could be fought and translated into political capital back home. So you go out and you conquer and you come home a war hero. That's not really honoring our traditions. That's not honoring our ancestors. That's creating these new superhero figures that go out and bring back all this wealth and prestige to Rome. And so then they have more clout at home. And so it produced a large number of veteran soldiers who, when they came home, they needed land and support. Like after I've served, I got to come back. I got to have a place to live and I've got to have a job. So that became a large and complicating force in Roman politics. So where you were dealing with this group of people that had common ancestry and heritage and, and knew how to do government together, you're now building up these new superstars and creating this whole new class of veteran soldiers and having to deal with all that. Are you going to tell us who are some of those people? Yes. No longer was it coming back to the farm. Before, you would just leave and fight for your country and come back to what you had before. Mm -hmm. But now they're actually creating new jobs and new people, and they don't have anything to come back to. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the bonds shift to the veteran soldiers of great generals rather than the patron client, you know, like in an economy, you're bonding with the people with whom you're doing business. Okay. Now the bonding is going to be with the soldiers, with the generals. So the general comes back and all of his veteran soldiers that were on his team before are going to vote for him or going to support him. And so the power is shifting away from these established families to these new war heroes. And war was what it was all about because to, it became a point later when they're in empire, we'll talk about this later in the talk, that there was enough that the economy came to depend on, for lack of a better word, the booty that was being captured when they were out conquering new places. Mm -hmm. That there wasn't enough economy being generated. There's not a better word? You said lack um, of a better uh, word. There is a better booty. word, and it has to do, it starts with a P, and I can't remember it. The booty. Just don't. I should have so known better. I should have just kept making up stuff and not said that word. It depends but on the anyway. value of what they brought back. Right. It's like, no, they needed to be bringing new things into the economy that they were taking from other people because there wasn't enough to sustain them in that they had themselves without right, that. Right, Well, um... What do you call that? Um, okay, it'll come to well, me. Well, let me, let me, let me ask you this. Um... We're at we're at almost a hundred BC, right? When they've when they've become the big empire, one hundred thirty three. Yes. Okay. They're not the empire yet. They're still they're a big republic. But they've they've you said it there. You they've now become the future's all Roman. The future's all Roman. Right. Okay. So <clears throat> it's about battle and it's about conquering and it's about having these heroes that have come back from battle and have expanded that's the changing their culture that's been based on traditions and ancestors okay they're no longer able to do it the way their ancestors i really want to know who some of these heroes are can we can you tell me that is that part okay. of this episode uh, yes it's it, yes i just yes we're almost there um 
the heart of the Romans was stability, conservatism, structured and measured. Okay, so the culture that they're dealing with before they get too big for their britches was a Roman household where a family was considered all the people living under one roof could be several generations. The father, the oldest male member, was the head of the household. He had life or death authority. They had the cult of their ancestors of their family. So you would teach about your ancestors. You didn't quite worship your ancestors, but they were... You respected and followed in their ways. There was a lot of pressure put to do that. You teach your sons the history of your family was in some way to teach your children the history of your people, Rome. So Rome was teaching the history of your family and being brought into that. So you can see now as more new people and things are changing, it's become it's harder to hold to the traditions of your ancestors. These if you're if your son is going out and being paid by a general to fight for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. They're not at home learning and teaching the traditions of the family. The culture is shifting. Um, prominent Roman families also started hiring Greek tutors who taught Greek literature and values, which was not the same as the Roman traditions. Okay? So when I think of like New Testament Rome and the, the things that we hear about when we're looking at the first few centuries B.C., this culture was not one of traditions and values. And so you think, how did you get there? Well, that's what we're talking about now. Okay. Mm. Um, what was once a role, ruling coalition of many powerful families in Rome had expanded and devolved into just a handful of strong men who totally dominated wealth, power, and prestige. During a five a violent five-decade stretch, that would be 50 years, right? Beginning around 100 B.C., a sequence of these strong men had each achieved dominance for a short time only to be overcome by a younger and stronger man. Their efforts to set themselves up as rulers of Rome were hampered by a stubborn Roman adherence to their traditional value system. So their, their geopolitical position, their government, their place in the world was requiring them to have strong military leaders, but their traditional values were pushing back against having anything that was like a king. Okay, that, because they, at their heart, were a republic and honored the tradition of their elders. So you're in this tension where to survive, you need to be ruled by a strong military leader, and yet that's not what we value. Right. They've created a difficult situation. So first person, Pompey. Ever heard of his name? Pompey, yes. He's from 106 B.C. to 48. Okay. Julius Caesar, mm -hmm. 100 B.C. to 44. He comes from one of the oldest families in Rome, but for a while had been on the edge. So they were old, but kind of on the edge. He was elected consul, that's that leader we talked about, in 63 and began maneuvering for a military campaign because in the past, being elected consul would have been a pinnacle of a public career, but now it's a springboard to the army command, which is the head mm -hmm. of your career. Mm -hmm. And then another guy, Crassus, 115 to 53. So these guys are contemporaries, all right? Mm -hmm. 
Pompey 100 to 48, Caesar 100, Julius Caesar 100 to 44, Crassius 115 to 53. He came from a lower family, but he was the richest man in Rome. But he had no respectability. That's Crassius. Made his money. He was crass. Yes. There you go. That's where it comes from. Made his money burning buildings and rebuilding. Hmm. Like you would, he would hang out and See yeah. where buildings burn and then come in and rebuild them. And that was how he would make money. He was so crass. Wants military office to get respectability. So in 60 BC, these three combined and formed the first triumvirate, which was instead of electing a consul or two consuls, they had a three-way deal with Pompey, Caesar, and Crassus. This political deal was unusual and unprecedented, manipulating the Roman system to serve their own purposes. Caesar got his command and went off to battle in Gaul. So Caesar has his command and he leaves, Julius Caesar. Um, but while he was off in Gaul, Roman politics changed. Crassus was killed in battle. Traditionalists turned to Pompey. So the ones who wanted to hold their traditional values. Crassus is dead. Caesar is off at battle. So they turned to Pompey and used him to put together a series of laws designed to ruin Julius Caesar. Okay. In 49 BC, the end of Caesar's command in Gaul, he had to come back to Italy. As he camped at the Rubicon River, remember the Rubicon was the boundary of Rome. If he knew if he laid down his military command like he was supposed to and crossed the Rubicon River, his enemies would have destroyed him. And he knew that. Mm -hmm. If he crossed the Rubicon River with his army, he had declared war on Rome. He crossed the river. And he said, the die is cast. So from 49 to 45 is a civil war that's brutal and nasty. So and essentially, he's a leader. Essentially, mm -hmm. he's a leader, but he's declaring Rome because war because they've developed these laws that make it illegal for him. Yeah, yeah make him obsolete. Yeah. Caesar passed many reforms, including at this time the Julian calendar. Mm-hmm. Remind me, I'll bring information on the Julian calendar to a future episode, okay? okay? I have to get with my resource. But that is where we get the names of most of our months. They originate from this time. Mm. Because what's, where do you think July comes from? Julius. There you go. In August? Augustus. Yeah. And September has something to do with... Septostus. Septostus. And, uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, yeah, we could keep going. We're going to bring that back. So... Octavius. So the Julian calendar comes in during that time, right? Novembus. <laughs> Octavius is a person that we're fixing to talk about. Decembriasis. <laughs> Can we just get through it? Yeah. Januarius. <laughs> February. No. Okay, go ahead. January. I know that's named after one of the gods. So um, everyone was looking for a solution to the increasing evident, cl evident collapse of the Roman system. Let me say that word together. Everyone, Everyone was, was looking, looking for, for a, a solution. solution. That you murdered that. A solution, solution to the increasing evident collapse of the, of the Roman, Roman system. system. Okay, mm -hmm. we got to get a solution. In 44 BC, a group of disgruntled senators, Brutus and Cassius, murdered Caesar. Caesar. When his behavior became too much like that of a monarch. But the Roman Republic was gone. Mm. Good music. See, you knew it. Mm. The Roman mm. Republic was mm. gone. Mm. 
The opportunities and challenges created by the empire simply devastated the old system. The opportunities and challenges created devastated the old system. Power and influence and unimaginable wealth could be brought to Rome and then buying support had no checks on the old system. So with all that wealth there and people buying each other off, there was no way to check all that. The system wasn't, it was gone. This was not how the game was supposed to be played. Now new people moving in with no connection to Roman values and systems. So that history of teaching about your ancestors and it's over. Greek culture for all its glories eroded the simple values of the Romans. So there you go. Wow. Brought in all this, what we would now call technology. We know now that tech is a Greek word. Um, and yet ruined hmm. the values. See, there again, that's a... That's, that's a, something that's going on today. That's a struggle of history, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Struggle of history. And when was this? This was at... So this is a curious thing. I'm just going to throw it out right here. And we'll look at it as we go. This was in... What was the year? You're keeping up with it. Around... 44 BC. When you look at the arc of history, every 500 years, about, there's a big shift. Hmm. And here we are sitting. At a 500th year? At a break. Yeah. What happened in 500 BC? 500 BC was the, was the highlight of the Greek culture. Mm-hmm. And now, when we're coming up to zero... The Greek culture has destroyed the traditional values of the Romans. Mm-hmm. 500 A.D. Is shortly after the fall of the Roman Empire. 1000 A.D. There's going to be a whole lot to get us there, but one event that might that people see as a turning point in history is the Battle of Hastings, which if you know what that is, great. If not, we'll learn when we get there. 1500, <clears throat> the Reformation. And where are we right now? 2000. And we're feeling it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should just stop I'm right there. I'm scared. I'm scared. <laughs> I didn't know this was going to be a scary podcast. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to be a fear. But I'm no, it's not. Because scared. what's the name of the podcast? Faith. History Through the Eyes of through Faith. Through the Eyes of Faith. The whole reason. I'm so excited. Well, this is a great time to end because we're is about it? in an hour. Are we? Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. Yeah, so... Do we want to talk any more about Star Wars? Yes, but, or you can you can tease it, you can bring can, it up, we can start it, we can wherever you want to go. But yes, we definitely want to talk more about Star Wars, and maybe this episode is the place to I do think it. it is, because I don't know if, epi- if the next episode is going to be relevant to Star Wars as much as this one has been. Yeah, who knows? We're going to talk more so, about the Empire. <clears throat> we are in the studio here, and really... I didn't have the expectation when we got into episode 18 that we were going to talk about Star Wars. I just talking about Apocrypha. We were talking well, about... Well, the Empire and the Republic just sets it right up. Empire and the Republic. It just, you know, it just so happens that today, today, tonight, there will be an event held in the room that we're in, in the studio here. Um, and I'm, I just, hate, I'm just so nervous about saying it out loud. Yeah, I just want to make sure nobody can hear us. Maybe you can. Um, I don't when you hear this episode, you will have already probably heard about this. If you are close friends with us, family and friends. There will be pictures. There will be pictures. There will be in this room tonight an official battle warrior 
of the Empire, a stormtrooper. <laughs> a real life stormtrooper storm will be in here tonight. That's all I'm saying. You're not going to say anything about how he's going to get here? No. It's going to be so cool, y'all. Like, we just got to, we'll have to talk about it Well, later. we'll put a picture on our Instagram account. Yeah. When this episode comes out, we'll have a picture. Yeah. Of. Yeah, we might with, have a lot of pictures. We might have a little video. We might, there's a lot of stuff. It's an exciting day. And matter of fact, I'm a little stressed out about it. Yeah. <laughs> Every producer Wes is nodding. Producer Wes just keeps up in his game. He just keeps adding pieces to this I'm a event. Little... This is gonna. This is an over a top reigns event, which they have a, a bad habit of doing. Like this stuff that Wes <laughs> is doing say, yeah. is like I know that we are now genetically related. If I did not know it before, I know it now. Yeah, we take it too far. Well, <laughs> it was like... only six days ago that this idea was created. And, and here, we, here go. we are. We're just adding pieces. It's a few hours away, and we're still adding pieces. It's happening tonight, and it's going to be epic. Amazing. <laughs> okay. So, so, yeah. Thanks for listening. I want to get to the gift that's for me, but we'll, we'll see if we can hold out on that. We'll, Another we'll, episode. Yeah. One more episode. All right. So, thanks. Episode 18 in the books. It was a good one. I liked it. I might send just this link when it comes out to, to my uh, childhood friends that are big Star Wars fans. Give us a little exit music. Right now? Uh-huh. I... There we go. Okay. See you guys later. Thanks for joining us today. They must have hidden the plants in the escape pod. I can't do Darth Vader. Anyway, great. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast. Brought to you by One Thing Only. Find us online at onethingonly.org. Click on History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast for more information, reference material, our social media links, as well as a way to contact us to leave questions or comments. We will soon be streaming on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review. Thanks again for listening to History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast.